electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. We've been hoping for an economic soft landing. Inflation declines, the unemployment rate rises a bit and growth slows, at least for a time. Something below potential but doesn't dip into a recession. What about a no landing? Esther George, who ran the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank, tells us what the Fed is watching now. I think they will be careful not to make commitments about their rates until they see inflation being more convincing. And commercial real estate CEO RxR's Scott Reckler on the challenge of back to office. Dark buildings, bad infrastructure, bad light, bad air. People don't want to be in those buildings. Plus, Home Depot sales decline, EVs charging your house, a landmark court ruling on climate change. I don't think this is a crazy decision. It's a totally crazy decision. All that today with Joe, Andrew, and Mike Santoli. What about Mo, Curly, and Larry? Three amigos? Three amigos. It is Tuesday, August 15th, 2023. Fred Flintstone, Barney, and Bam Bam. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, Q Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Mike Santoli, who's hanging out with us uh, for the day. Becky is off, so it's, it's not just the boys. Well, I guess it's just the boys, because I was going to say sometimes we've done it together, Joe and I, and now we got Mike. So we got, and, but. 50% more boy than, than just... 50%. I don't even want But we got Courtney Reagan here as wanna, well at the table. Thank God. So we got a lot going on. Thank God. We got a lot uh, going you, on you, right can here. Can you stay? Just, just stay for the... Love to. Okay. Hang out for the next three yeah, hours. We're, we're good. For, for DEI good. reasons, I think. Um, right. Home Depot basically saying, yeah, things are pretty crappy, but in line with the crappiness that they have already talked about, right? You saw, no. you saw the forecast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, fiscal year earnings down. A, a single digits, but uh, do, you, do you have, uh, you want to go through the numbers? Yeah, us, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't see the, I, I don't know if the stock is traded yet. Already has been affected by uh, some of these comments, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we knew that they had been looking for this year of moderation, Home Depot. So Moderation. Like, down yes. the, yeah, fiscal year earnings down 7 to 13 percent. Could be double digit. It could. Even. Yeah, it could. So Home Depot is reporting earnings here of $4.65 on revenues of $42.9 billion. That's both better than expected, actually 20 cents better than the street was looking for for their earnings. The home improvement retailer, to your point, Joe, reaffirming that previous guidance, which had been a pretty deep cut from before. And they had referred to this whole year, like we said, year of moderation. Home Depot's total comparable sales down 2%, and then U.S. same-store sales also fell 2%. But that's better than the almost 4% drop that the analysts were expecting. It is the third quarter in a row, though, of falling comparable sales in the U.S. And the way I can see it, the only quarters with falling comps for at least as far back 
as 2014. In the release, CEO Ted Decker calls out strength in smaller projects, but then continued pressure in certain big-ticket discretionary categories. And I spoke briefly to CFO Richard McPhail. I asked him if the consumer behavior has decelerated from the last quarter based on what they're seeing. And he says, I, I wouldn't call it a deceleration. I would just say continued caution on the part of consumers when it comes to the larger ticket, more discretionary spending. Homeowners are still engaged in projects. They seem to be deferring larger projects and taking on more small ones that may be a function of higher interest rates. Further, McPhail said that cash really is being used as the primary funding source for projects. And then when it comes to inflation, he said, we don't expect to see meaningful inflation in the second half of the year. We have, in certain cases, decreased retail prices, but that's certainly not broad-based. I really look at it as almost a sort of settling out of prices in our market. And then shrink, of course, driven by organized retail crime has been a major topic in retail as of late. And it's something I've followed with Home Depot in particular since before the pandemic. McPhail said shrink for the quarter has been largely in line with what we've observed for the past several quarters and years. It continues to be a pressure in our business. And we're certainly continuing initiatives that are designed to mitigate that. We'll take different approaches based on the market. But of course, they are not quantifying it. Target quantifying the uh, shrink was a very rare step for a retailer. I can't remember, Mike, that ever happening before, That's right, seeing yeah. a retailer actually quantify a shrink. So. Stock has indicated, it, we haven't traded yet, but 331 to 334 is the, uh, the bid in the S right now. If I were gonna- Up a little, yeah. If I were gonna organize a, a hit, I, I don't know if you kind of carry out a bunch of lumber and stuff. And, uh, I guess they got some, some, some of those machines sure. that they have are pretty expensive, but Tiffany comes to mind. Initially, you know, just where you can grab a lot of, uh, right? I think it's a little Smash and grab. Under uh, glass. Smash, smash and grab. has been taking place at Walgreens. If it's, I don't, what, and it's for, also, it's for Prilosec? I, you know, I, I, I'm it's saying I want a lot of bags for my buck. I want a lot of Have you ever tried to buy a, a I, I thing of toothpaste or no. Nexium or, no, I, I don't can know. get a, I can get a crack pipe free, but uh, I cannot get any Prilosec uh, in, in New York City. But I, I don't know, Home Depot, help me with this big, long, Two by There's four. some small stuff that's small pretty small pricey. Things, things that are more easily resold. Uh, when I followed along on a sting, there was a lot of drills, it's amazing power that tools, we're talking, things like amazing that. Amazing we're talking about it. Tesla has rolled out cheaper versions of its Model S and Model X vehicles in the U.S. The lower cost versions of both vehicles are $10,000 less than the regular model, according to Tesla's website. The new cheaper versions have a lower driving range than the standard models. The Model X has a range of up to 348 miles, while the cheaper Model S range uh, is up to uh, 269. When will you buy an electric, an EV? Um, I would probably go toward hybrid before That's electric. A lot of people Living in say. Manhattan, it's not that Here's all I'll say. So, let's put it that Did way. you have a storm? Yeah, that's the hardest. Hard you have a storm Saturday in the city? Did you see that, that baby? It was a storm, yeah. Did you see the lightning and stuff? So, so power was out. Right. In, uh, in large part of northern New Jersey for almost 24 hours, I think, and longer in some places. And there were lines at the Wawa station. And right. I, I couldn't figure out what was going on for the charging station. If you don't have power in your home, you can't yeah. charge your car? Is that, if I got that right? Don't eat, correct, but actually, the, but the flip side is about to happen. Which is you can save it up in your solar panels and then- No, your oh, you can use your car to power your yeah. home. Correct. That's actually okay. a very cool thing. If yeah, you think would about be good. That, that they, uh, the car itself sure. can be can generate can be a generator. I mean, the idea that most most people at their right. home don't have a generator at all. Now, the flip side, of course, is that if you don't have power in your car, yeah. 
You right. can't go anywhere or you can't. You have you seen the, the Teslas with the, the panel on back with the gas-powered generator that they carry around just in, right, case, just in case. Right. With, powered with, with, you know, 93-octane hydrocarbons. <laughs> And shares of U.S. Steel taking a breather today uh, following yesterday's big rally. Have you noted what the symbols of this company's been for sure. 50 years? Yep. X. You think he's going to try to I don't know. It just seems it's confusing. Uh, it, like when you look at Twitter now, is it, is it U.S. Steel? Is it Twitter? Uh, it jumped nearly 40% to its highest level since March. The move uh, coming after another bidder emerged for the steelmaker. Really, S-Mark, a privately held company. Uh, which is making a $7.8 billion all-cash offer. That's weird, Mike, that there's a company called Esmark. Remember the days yeah. when Esmark was uh, one of the biggest takeover plays to break it up, and it was a, now it's, it's still around. Yeah, Those were the same days when, when U.S. Steel and Bethlehem Steel were still, yep. I think they're almost Dow components. Bethlehem Steel was, yeah. Yeah, way back then. But that would top $7 billion we're talking about. These are small companies at this point, $7.3 billion dollar bid from Cleveland Cliffs, which U.S. Steel uh, rejected. U.S. Steel wouldn't comment specifically on Eskmark's uh, offer, but says it welcomes the company uh, to join the multiple parties already involved in the evaluation of strategic alternatives. Meantime, this one's interesting. Uh, a landmark ruling on climate change in Montana. A judge there ruling the state agencies violating a constitutional right of citizens in the state to clean and healthful environment by allowing fossil fuel development. It was the first kind of trial uh, in the U.S. The judge found that the policy the state uses in evaluating requests for fossil fuel permits, which does not allow agencies to look at greenhouse gas emissions, is unconstitutional. Experts said the immediate impacts are limited. It's now up to the state legislator to determine how to bring the state's policies into compliance. Meantime, state officials pledging to seek to overturn the decision on appeal. A lot of oil companies looking at that decision and limited in that state. But there's a whole number of these kind of cases that are now being brought in other states. Now, interestingly, Montana, the state in its own charter says that they You're are allowed to have an, a clean environment. That they're supposed to look at a clean, so these clean were, environment. These were children, right. but between so, the age of two months and, and 18 years old when it was filed. Well, so the but the interesting part about this is I mean, look, I think that a state now or an agency could look at this and say, we've looked at the environmental impact. We've we've but, uh, you know, we've looked at the other impacts. It, it doesn't pass the smell test no, no, because they've got a million residents. No, no, they've got a million residents. The greenhouse emissions of a million residents versus China and India at three billion. That's point zero three percent. Do you honestly believe Montana right. and the residents of Montana yeah. have harmed the environmental um, lives of their children based on the, the minuscule amount of greenhouse gas even, emissions? I'm not even taking well, that, that issue on. I'm you taking, should. All I'm saying is that I'm, the reason why I think it's, this is a limited decision is because a state agency in Montana can say, we've looked at the environmental impact, yeah. we've compared that with what we think is going to be the other impact, the economic impact, you. we've taken all these things into consideration, and we still chose I don't know this judge. to allow but, drilling. But, but you so have, I don't think it's I don't know think the crazy activist judge you, down in Texas that says that you can. I don't think this is a crazy are, decision. Is, it's a totally crazy decision. No, because you can still consider, you can still land A up. million residents? You think no, that they have harmed the, the environment? You think that children, you think the children climate. in that state, their environmental I, lives have been harmed by what, the not, emissions of a million people versus China and India? You're taking the argument to a whole other place. The legal argument is simply 
Can they take that into consideration? And the answer is that they probably can. And and that shouldn't change the fact that they could decide they want to have drilling in the state. That's not going to. That's just saying we're considering it. We're allowed to consider it. What part of the environment is less clean in Montana from the emissions of the million residents there? Where where is their harm to these people? Where is their environmental harm to these people? And that's all the issue is, is whether the agency is allowed to even decide whether there is harm. And then you think about what the alternative is. So, Joe, if you're on that agency, you can sit around and say there's no harm. You're allowed to do that. That's the only point. The point is that there's consideration of it. And the truth is, by the way, relative to all of this, that Montana, they actually uh, talked about it in court from a, and I know you don't believe the CO2 has anything to do with it, but that, that there's more CO2 coming out of uh, Montana, the state, than, the enti- than all of Argentina. So the point is, there is, a, there is something going on, but the question is, how much? And, and then you, as the state agency, get to determine it, but you get to you at least look at that as an issue. Do you, do you believe that the million residents in Montana, that some of the, that the planet has been warmed by the emissions of those people in Montana? I, I, when I put it in my calculator, I couldn't get... Three billion. You can I couldn't divide argument. one million if divided you, by if, three billion. It came out. Agency, to, I think it's three one hundred. But, if you're on that agency, but China, you can choose, and, blame, you can choose China and India. If, not, if but you this believe this isn't it. about blaming anybody. This is about. Just it saying, is about blaming people. You're saying that they've hurt these these children, and I don't know this. I judge. didn't say that. <laughs> I don't. This judge. I don't know her. I don't know who will point out. I don't know what her other. Cheese will be next. Okay, coming up on Squawk Pod: a soft landing, a hard landing. How about a no landing? Esther George, former Kansas City Fed president, joins us. It's a tough time. I mean, who doesn't want a soft landing? I think everyone would hope for that. But I'm reminded inflation is not yet at the Fed's target. And so it's too soon, I think, to really make that call on the economy. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We're back. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Sorkin along with Mike Santoli and Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. The Treasury market is interesting right now. The 10-year note, 4.231. The two-year at close to five now, 4.97. Can we do that? You want to do the three-shot for longer? I want to do the three-shot and I want to say uh, caption that. Uh, okay. On Twitter. I mean, did, what, did you have a... You mean you want to do a caption contest? Caption contest. Oh, okay. I mean, what is Look that? at these three guys that, in blue shirts. How about... The ties are a little different. They are. But how about, that's about it. What about Manny, Moe, and Jack? Are they still around? Uh, what about Mo, Lo, Mo, Larry, Mo, Curly, and Larry? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, are there musket? Aren't there four musketeers if you count them all? The three musketeers. Uh, three amigos. Three amigos. Got to get the That'd hats. That'd be cultural misappropriation. I don't think we can do that. Probably not, and get away with that. Um, any other? Uh, any other trios? Trios. Uh, the Bee Gees. There you go. They were good, but then there was the fourth one who died yeah. so young and so forth. So say, say Andy. Fourth stooge too, wasn't there? <laughs> was there? So yeah. We got plenty of stooge. Uh, we got the stooge. Uh, market corner today. By the anyway, way, you can um, caption that. I, I did want to mention, uh, Andrew, <laughs> that that 423 on the 10-year note is yep. basically the highs from October. So yep. you, you, you have the, the bond market continuing to sell off, continue to ratchet up the pressure uh, on valuations, and, uh, and there you have it. Uh, 30 years in a similar spot here. So uh, it shows you that we're pricing out not only just the recession risk, uh, higher for longer from the Fed, Obviously, Treasury supply has been an issue. Japan released global yields to the upside. So all this stuff going on in a relatively illiquid bond market in, uh, in August. Uh, and here we are. Although it's worth m mentioning that last year when we were having these stories about what the bond market meant for stocks, we would have been talking about 3% being too high or 3.5% being too high. So the market can make its peace with these levels. It just takes some time. At what age do you think someone should be interested in locking up money for 10 years at 4%. Well, I don't think that's the equation. I, I know, equation. I, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I just yeah. don't think that's our thing here. I, I mean, there are, what, NVIDIA was up 7% yesterday. I mean, it just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I think it's, it's not Andrew's age. Uh, no, I'm it's sure not. If it's mine. It yet. might not be. <laughs> but no, Kelly Evans is at home. Poor yeah. girl. She's at home going, 4.2%. She's so excited about 4.2%. Why? Huge novelty effect this year right. of people discovering you could have safe yield. Yeah, it's amazing. You're right. I was the Fred Flintstone, Barney, and Bam Bam. That's not bad. Question is, you know. What about Pebbles? Can't leave her. We could use her. We could use. We could use a, 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 a lady. Now that market sentiment has shifted to a consensus, expecting a soft landing, another risk has emerged. What if? There's no landing at all. Senior economics reporter Steve Leisman joins us with a look. And also, Steve, why it's a risk and not, uh, not a good thing. Well, yeah, the Fed clearly will welcome a soft landing, Mike, where inflation declines, the unemployment rate rises a bit, and growth slows, at least for a time, something below potential but doesn't dip into a recession. That's the soft landing. That's the scenario where most Fed officials forecast they can hit and hold that 2% inflation goal. But what if little of that happens? That is actually the course we're potentially on right now. Here's some data. GDP, the Fed had forecast to be 1% this year. It's running 2.1 so far, and it's looking to be running hotter this quarter even than that. Unemployment, 4.1% uh, uh, is their forecast. It's running 3.5%. It has to do 490 for the rest of the year in order for the Fed to hit its gold. Doing okay on headline PCE, but you can see they're a percentage point high on core PCE at 4.1% so far this year. Harvard economist Jason Furman warning yesterday, if inflation does painlessly fall to 2%, we should celebrate and engage in more serious soul-searching regarding the standard economic models. But if it does not, the U.S. Federal Reserve will need to be prepared to go further to bring inflation down to an acceptable range. Over at Oxford, they warn a challenge for any soft landing scenarios that stronger than expected GDP growth would keep inflation elevated, 
pushing the Fed to raise rates in the second half and delay the pivot to policy easing until well into 2024. Now, Oxford is still forecasting a recession as their baseline bought on by the fiscal drag and inventory swings. But whatever the outcome, the Fed's going to need some form of rising unemployment and soft growth to feel comfortable about cutting rates. No landing, guys, I think is probably not okay with the Fed here. What might get, we might get a few. U.S. retail sales rose in July by 0.7% for the month, stronger than expected, and perhaps suggesting that consumers are holding up pretty well in the face of price increases. Let's break down the numbers. July saw a 1.9% jump in spending at online retailers. Sporting goods and related stores increased 1.5%, and food service and drinking places rose one4 Now, this report could help the narrative that the U.S. economy may be able to avoid a much-predicted and much-feared recession. Brought on by the 11 interest rate increases the Federal Reserve has undertaken to curb decades-high inflation. So, have consumers, who power two-thirds of the U.S. economy, engineered a less bumpy landing? And will it matter to the central bank's view? I'll send it back now to Joe Kernan. She's ready. Thanks, Steve. Stick around. Let's bring in Esther George, served as Kansas City Fed president from 2011 to January of this year. And, uh, I'm, I'm unhappy, President Trump. Mandatory retirement in, in January. Have they heard of a guy named Warren Buffett uh, or William Shatner? Or, I mean, that's ridiculous. What, what, what year are they living? <laughs> you know what? It is to our benefit, though, because now you can actually talk about some things that maybe in the past uh, you would have been less uh, inclined to talk about. For example, <clears throat> I know you're willing to weigh in on the Fitch downgrade. But let's just talk, uh, uh, start out with uh, this retail sales number and, and Steve's uh, reporting. Did, did you foresee when you were at the Fed that it was going to be a much stronger economy and maybe a no landing or soft landing? And what, what is really behind that? Is it all the, the stimulus that we're still seeing um, fiscally? Yeah, I think watching this recovery from the pandemic has been uh, fascinating <clears throat> and difficult to judge. Uh, the consumer, as we see today in retail sales, so important to this economy, and they really have hung in there. Uh, despite what has been one of the most aggressive tightening cycles that the Fed has undertaken. So this is an extraordinary time. We're watching these imbalances in the economy continue to work their way through. Some sectors uh, not doing as well. Others, like the consumer, are really powering ahead. I guess I was uh, channeling Robert Kaplan, also a former uh, Fed official, who, who said that he thinks demand's going to stay strong because of uh, take your pick, uh, uh, the, the infrastructure spending, the, the CHIPS Act, the IRA. Uh, it, and initially, that will cause rates to continue to go higher and inflation to stay stubborn, but long term could be a positive. Do you share that viewpoint? I think it's, it's reasonable. I mean, you think about the consumer has benefited uh, from fiscal support. That was a tailwind for spending for sure. You look at how tight the job market is right now. And so wages are rising. People have jobs. And that income also uh, is supporting the spending that we see today. So that could put more pressure on the Fed. OK, I'm going to let uh, Steve in and, and just say, I just want to uh, get to that that Fitch uh, downgrade and, and what your thoughts are now. And I mean, does the Fed share any? culpability for, for some of the problems we have? Did it enable fiscal uh, spending more than it should have for a couple of years? Uh, who, who's at fault for what could be 180% of debt to GDP by 
uh, by 2050. Well, we had a tremendous shock, Joe, as you know, that caused both monetary policy and fiscal policy to come to the rescue. And now, of course, we're looking over our shoulder, trying to figure out how we work our way out. I think when you look at the fiscal side of the equation, which was so important, both to the transition to a recovery, but also now the consequence that you have to face, it's not just the Fitch downgrade. I think if you look at what the Congressional Budget Office itself put in a report this summer, we're not on a good path in terms of our fiscal uh, situation. And so it will be important, certainly for the long term. But I think even now, watching how interest expense on government debt is growing, very important that this aspect of policy be addressed. And that, of course, separate from what the Fed is doing, but equally important, I think, to our future. Well, on the flip side, I mean, I guess some people could argue that the Fed is like, this is like a Nadia Comaneci uh, dismount from, from the, the bounce being like a 10. I mean, if you, if you really orchestrate a soft landing, is that the first time it's, it, it's, it's ever been done, if, if it actually happens? But what's ironic is, if it's too soft, the Fed thinks they gotta, they gotta do more work to slow things down. It's, it's a very strange paradox. It's a tough time. I mean, who doesn't want a soft landing? I think everyone would hope for that. But I'm reminded inflation is not yet at the Fed's target. And so um, it's too soon, I think, to really make that call on the economy. Inflation uh, oh, needs to come down. We still have quantitative tightening. Okay. Sorry, President. Just sorry to interrupt. Steve, I, I know you, I, I probably, you, you're probably ready to go two or three questions ago. No, 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 you've been doing a great job, Joe. I, 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 I guess what I would just do is be a little more direct, Joe, which is usually your job here. But, no, uh, you know, I, I've been talking I, to I, I, I be, Esther. I, I, that, that, that's I, in spite of myself. I don't want to be that direct. <laughs> usually. <laughs> uh, you know, talking to Esther as president for all of these years. I, you know, now, now, thank you for being here, Esther, and really glad that you can be part of the discussion here. Yeah, I, I guess my question is, is the more direct one. You have not, they've not slowed growth below potential. The unemployment rate has not budged. You have done 500 basis points of tightening. Does all of that up to telling you the Fed needs to do more here? You know, I think by the Fed's own forecast, Steve, they had projected uh, doing more even this year. And I think appropriate to wait and see how the data is coming in. So far, I think what it's telling them is the economy is pretty strong. Uh, there's still lags. I'm quite convinced there's more to come from the tightening that's been done. But I wouldn't be too uh, assured at this point that the inflation fight is over. It's proven to be pretty sticky, and that may mean more work for them. Let me just ask you from the other side, though, which is the extent to which you think, and, and, and obviously in your tenure at Kansas City, you had a banking expertise there and you've always watched the banks and you were concerned about the banks. Do you remain concerned about the drag on the economy from a decline in lending from the banks? It was a big concern in March of this year. It does not appear to have necessarily materialized. Well, I think some of these things, again, take time. And I would not be sanguine at this point, given, again, the amount of tightening already in the system that banks aren't going to continue to have to digest uh, these rate increases. It's not yet, I think, flown through to the consumer base, to some of their borrowers. 
So I'd still be mindful of watching how the banks and their customers are able to adjust over the next year. Let me ask you this question, Esther. The, the idea that um, inflation can be falling at the same time the unemployment remains unchanged, that is a sort of new idea. And, and as Joe pointed out, it's unusual in the post-war period. The Richmond Fed had a paper on this recently. Um, are you, would you be willing, you think the Fed might be willing, to kind of go on a flyer here and say, hey, you know what? We had this process wrong, this process of the Phillips curve and the inverse relationship between unemployment and inflation and either stay, stay, stay on hold or even cut rates and, and, and say, you know what, this is a weird post-pandemic economy. Well, it is a weird post-pandemic economy. I would agree with that. But I think the Fed has to be very careful here, both not to overreact, again, with further tightening. So I, I agree, this pausing period, this time of looking at how the data comes in before their meeting in September is an appropriate one. But at the same time, I think they will be careful not to make commitments about their rates until they see inflation being more convincing. And I hear that consistently from the FOMC members. They want to have better assurance that inflation is going to come down to that 2% target before they call off uh, future rate increases or certainly even talk about cutting rates. We're, we're almost uh, out of time, uh, President George. One last thing. We had a... a, a individual on earlier that's saying under the surface there's some troubling uh, things, whether it's commercial real estate or small businesses, because of the extent that the yield curve has been inverted, uh, that, you know, banks, small banks, other banks haven't been able to make money in, in, in the usual way, and that that is eventually going to come to the surface. Is that part of the things that you're, you're talking about right now, that the Fed needs to be wary and careful uh, to... Uh, to acknowledge that maybe there's some things that we don't know about right now that could go wrong in the next six months? No, I think that's very much the case, Joe. And I think history would tell us, again, we haven't uh, done away with lags in the policy effects. If you think back to 2005 tightening cycle, it took months for that full effect to work its way through. Today may be different for sure, but I wouldn't want to assume too much in that regard. So I think more will unfold uh, in terms of the impact of this tightening. Many of the sectors have been hit early. We've seen that, manufacturing, the housing. But I think we're going to have to wait and see as uh, rate adjustments take place over the next months, uh, even a year, what its full impact is going to be. Yeah, you'd make a great CNBC contributor. Uh President, I did not for, I mean, I'm thinking out loud now. Uh, I don't know whether we've, we've talked to you or anything, but but uh, what do you think, Steve? Did you uh, you, you have her, her text? I, 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 you know, if it was up to me, I, I would have hired her months ago, uh, Joe. Uh, Esther has always been a um, that's what I mean. A great contributor, even when she was at at, at, at the Kansas City Fed, and now she's uh, somehow managed to land uh, the uh, World Cup in Kansas City of all places. I don't know wow. if that was you specifically, Esther, but. Uh, but that's, uh, that, that's a heck of a feat she did there. We're very excited. They got some other football. That Kansas they might, City. They, they may play some other football out there, too, uh, whether, whether you're aware of that, uh, Steve. And, and have not, not a – Kansas <laughs> City is, is, is hidden above its weight. That's my, that's my take on Kansas City. It's a great place. Great well state, great barbecue, weight. great uh, – it's a great place. Barbecue. And, and, it, and it's got two Avionics. states. Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. In fact, one former president once congratulated the state of Kansas. When the cheese one. <laughs> anyway, Esther George, uh, thank you. 
Next on Squawk Pod, zombie office buildings threatening cities all over this country. Scott Reckler, who runs New York commercial real estate firm RxR, joins us on the tricky math to get workers back in the office. You want to be in places that have energy, that have amenities, places where people can gather together. You want them to be in neighborhoods that are places that are exciting and restaurants and bars. So, you know, you want to create an environment that is compelling. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Mike Santoli. Straight up and Andrew. Here's Andrew. Welcome back to Squawk Box. Office occupancy has been slowly ticking back up with more companies requiring employees to return to work in person. However, delinquencies are now uh, on the rise. Joining us is Scott uh, Reckler, who's the uh, RXR Realty Chairman and CEO. Good morning to you. What, what's happening here? Good morning, Andrew. Good to be here. So, I mean, I think in terms of just office, yep. you know, one of the things that's been happening is everyone's been painting office with the same brush. And I've been saying for quite some time that there's class A office that's going to yep. continue to do well. We're seeing people demand people back to the offices. And then there's class B office um, or lower grade class A that effectively is going to become competitively obsolete. Well, we've seen an uptick in tenants, just which is, I think, a good indicator of people coming back to the office. So just this month, We've signed a million square feet of leases, and that's in you know Rock Center, right. Midtown South, Grand Central area, and those are where places where people want to be. They're high quality buildings, high quality locations. So what happens to all the other places? I mean, it's a challenge, right? And I think that is something that we're going to have to you know try to address because we talk about these conversions. There's only so much of these conversions that can happen. Hard to do a conversion. It's well hard to do in terms conversion. of going from office to, well, to the apartments, first thing you especially to, given where the elevators and everything well, often you, are. You can physically do them in lots of buildings, but the trick is you need the prices to come down significantly, right? So we're having a repricing, and really to make this work, you need to be talking 200, 250 dollars a foot to be able to buy an office building and invest it and right. to convert it and still make a decent return on that conversion, right? But, you know, I think there is an investment opportunity. I mean, just ourselves over the last, uh, you know, a few months right now, we've made commitments right. on over $1.2 billion of equity and 5 million square feet of office buildings. Okay, so have. but all of these folks who are, so there's people obviously going to those uh, Class A buildings. All the folks in the Class B buildings, what are they doing? They just decide they're not going to the office anymore? I mean, I don't understand. Well, well and again, it's, some are still going. But if you really think about it, if you're trying to attract your workforce back to the offices and you want to collaborate, you want to be in places that have energy, that have uh, you know, amenities, places where people can gather together, you want them to be in neighborhoods that are places that are exciting and restaurants and bars. So you, know, you want to create an environment that is compelling. Class B, dark buildings, bad infrastructure, bad light, bad air. People don't want to be in those buildings. We have uh, the Wall Street Journal front page today. Wall Street moves to buy properties at bargain prices, raising funds, trying to find, I guess, distressed properties. Are sellers at this point in that mode of, look, we're going to have to take the pain and, and that will maybe mop up the market a bit? Yeah, so, I mean, I think we're starting to see it. Um, you know, I think that the banks have been very slow. We're starting to see ourselves. We are, have invested about $2.5 billion on high-yield credit and we call it office recovery strategy right now. 
And we're able to now buy mezzanine loans at discounts. We're having conversations with banks and institutions at buying their interest at big discounts. I think the, the smart uh, institutions right now realize that if they get there quicker, they have a better chance right. of getting a price because as more inventory comes on, prices are going to drop okay, further. Roll this story forward, though, because one of the things everyone's worried about, and we're talking about this pitch downgrade of the banks and everything else, is what this does to both the regional banks and maybe even some of the larger banks come 24, come 25. As you say, if, if everybody wants to convert these buildings, but they're only going to do it when these prices are much lower, someone's going to take a haircut in a big way. Yeah, no, and I think, I think there's going to be losses at the bank level, right? There's going to be losses at the investors level. And I think for the you know, cities, right, they're going to have this potential, this urban doom loop, right? There was an article about San Francisco and, you know, valuations coming down 50% and people asking for real estate tax reductions, right, for that amount. So what's that do to municipal budgets? What's it do to local businesses? So that's a challenge. But I will say when it comes to regional banks, it's not about office buildings. The Achilles heel on regional banks is multifamily. Um, that is really where it's spread throughout the Why entire Why do you country. say that when we've seen, for the most part, multifamilies actually say, stayed remarkably stable. We've obviously seen rents go, uh, go up, but, right. I, you know. Well, because what's happened was you had record levels of multifamily investment in 2021 into 2022. People were buying multifamily, saying, okay, rents are going to go up. I'm buying with interest rates that are low. I'm buying with, interest, with low cap rates. And what's happened is the opposite. Rents have pretty much stayed flat. Interest rates have spiked and cap rates have gone up, so values have come down. So if someone bought a multifamily building for $250 million, even if they put $100 million of equity in today, they'll have to write off half of that equity and invest another $50 million to refinance it. That's spread throughout the entire country, and that's where the regional banks have significant exposure today, and, and on top of that, you have you supply. You don't think it's, if it's not office that you think is gonna... I, I, listen, I'm not saying office isn't gonna be the issue, but if you look at the amount of loans around the country, the biggest segment by two times is multifamily. And that's also really spread throughout the country and been financed by the regional banks. So the bigger banks and some of the you know, CMBS market have the office buildings, but when you really think about the regional banks, that's where they're at. And I think regional banks are gonna have challenges. I know we just saw the downgrade. I, I would say I would not be surprised if there's a 500 to 1,000 less regional banks in the next two years. Okay, final question. If we're sitting around this table three years from now, what do you think the average number of days somebody comes into work? I, I think the three to four is, I mean, hybrid works here to stay, right? I mean, I, you know, I think that's a given people like flexibility, but I don't think this concept of full remote work works. I think everyone has sort of come to that conclusion. You know, you've seen it with Zoom, you've seen it with others right now. And so, but I think hybrid work is a good balance. Right. And so three to four days is what's going to happen, I think, okay. long term. Scott, it's nice to see people you. like it. I like, you know, fatty foods and uh, eating, you know, six meals a day, too. I, it doesn't mean I can do it. Right. Well, again, if you, if you think work of, five days a week, right. Scott, well, I, I do five too, days right. a week. I, I work five days a week, Three too. to four. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, I'm giving them, this you know, the France, honest answer. Dude. Right. This, we're not I would France. want five days a week as a, a large owner of office buildings, but I'm being realistic. And I think, and I think again, oh my God. flexibility is a value, right? People, people like flexibility. flexibility. Well, good. I like a lot of things. Well, it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's where can you find perfect productivity, right? That's where we have to you know, They used to trade on Saturdays, too. Sometimes yep. the work week shrinks. That, if you don't show up on Saturday, don't even think about coming in on Sunday. That's right. Okay. We asked for some uh, suggestions for who we could represent. Did you see someone sent in a picture of those three guys on Super, yeah. super, super Bad? Yeah, Super Bad guys. I saw that. Yeah. They had you as McLovin. I, I call McLovin. Wait, you okay. want to be McLovin? I want to be McLovin. You want to be McLovin? I want to be McLovin. Uh, do you want to be the, uh, what, what's his name? The uh, Jonah Hill? Jonah Hill? Who, who, I what? think Jonah's role. I kind of stole Sen the movie, Sen but. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Why not? You don't want to be McLovin? 
I'm just the. I'm happy. I'm happy to be. You know, I love I'm just that. happy to be here. Just happy to be here. All right, you're McLovin it. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mike Santoli for sitting in. Fifty percent more boys. You can tune into Squawk Box weekday mornings on CNBC at six Eastern, and get the best of our TV show when you follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 